Welcome to Saints. In this podcast, we'll be discovering and discussing fascinating insights to topics and events found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the latter days. This new four-volume narrative is the history of the Restoration. You can also read it and all the material we'll be discussing today on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. And now, Saints. I'm Ben Godfrey, and today I have two fantastic guests with me here in the studio. First, I have a women's history specialist from the Church History Library in Salt Lake City, Brittany Chapman Nash. Welcome, Brittany. Thank you. And um, as before, we have joining us Sarah Eyring. Sarah has recently read Saints Volume 1 and will be sharing her thoughts and questions in our episode today. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Today, our episode, we're going to be discussing Chapter 8, The Rise of the Church of Christ. This is a, a pretty important chapter in, uh, in Saints. Brittany, let's start with you. Just kind of set the scene for us. What's happening in Chapter 8? Okay, so we have the basics of the of the church kind of coming together. So we have the publication of the Book of Mormon um, at, with uh, Grandin's printing press, and we have the first meeting of the church. We have the reception of the Book of Mormon. How did people react to it? And um, so these major pieces coming together. It's a, it's a pretty interesting time uh, for the church. As you said, one of the big pieces of uh, this chapter is talking about the publication of the Book of Mormon. In previous episodes, we've met a man by the name of Martin Harris. He is coming at a, at a time that's really important. He steps forward to help do some financing or provide collateral right. for the Book of Mormon. Tell us about how, how did that work? Why did they need collateral to publish a book? Mm -hmm. So E.B. Grandin was a young man starting out in the printing world. He was Joseph's same age, so they were peer-to-peer. -peer, and it was a risk for E.B. Grandin to take on this project. It's one thing if you know a book will sell well and is interesting to the public, but this was a risk. It was a religious text. There was a lot of opposition to it. Um, it's people were... Some were convinced uh, that Joseph Smith was a fraud and trying to promote that idea. And so for Grandin, it was he wanted to have some uh, financial guarantee up front that he would be paid for the large investment that he was making to print the book. So it, it was and it was a crazy amount of books. Yes. Now we think, oh, you know, five thousand copies, that's a pretty good you know initial print run. <laughs> but, that was a huge deal. Right. Um, like the, some of the most best-selling authors wouldn't have attempted a 5,000 initial print run wow. um, in 1830 anyway. Wasn't it about half that amount that, that would be the initial print run, about 2,500? So this was twice the, the regular amount. It, yeah, it's pretty audacious, mm -hmm. really. And it cost a lot of money too. $3,000 yes. was the collateral, is that right? That's right. And I was so surprised by um, the willingness of, was it Martin Harris, who um, had to take out a mortgage on his yes. farm, was that right? And I loved the um, response that he got from the Lord when, as he was trying to decide whether it mattered, you know, that he had his family secure and mm -hmm. his farm secure, or that they printed this, this book, mm -hmm. and that in response, um, the Lord said, well, I sacrificed my life, right, for this and to... to to suffer for the sins of the world and that everyone might be saved. And anyway, I, I did the will of the Father, and now it's your turn to do the will of the Father. Is that right? Am I remembering that? You are. In fact, let's listen to just a little clip here from the book. 
Thou shalt not covet thine own property, the Lord said, but impart it freely to the printing of the Book of Mormon. The book contained the true word of God, the Lord assured Martin, and it would help others believe the gospel. Although his neighbors would not understand his decision, Martin obeyed the Lord and mortgaged his farm to guarantee payment. It's amazing if you think about the repercussions of that. It surely seemed like a huge thing for Martin Harris, and it was a huge thing to mortgage his personal property. Um, But if you look at the millions and millions of people over the generations that he has influenced through that financial sacrifice, it, it seems minuscule in comparison for what good was able to be accomplished through that. One thing our listeners, and frankly was new to me, um, to to learn and understand is it it didn't really work out for Martin. I mean, financially, did he lose his farm? He did lose his farm. And kind of the worst fear was realized as as he was putting it all on the line. But over, over time, even though very few copies were sold in Palmyra, over time, interest was generated in the Book of Mormon, and it did sell. And so Martin Harris was compensated in full for his um, three thousand dollar investment. Let's talk a little bit about that that moment. There's this character that comes onto the scene. His name is Abner Cole. We learn, um, and and Abner is actually the first person to publish passages. From the Book of Mormon. Yeah, that's surprising, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, who who was Abner Cole, and what was he doing with with the Book of Mormon text? Well, from what I remember, he was printing his own newspaper. Is that right? And he was using the same press that Joseph Smith was, and so he saw excerpts of the Book of Mormon, and he would include them and print them. And I think that he would write sarcastic things, you know, about them to make them seem, of course, less credible. And he got in a little bit of trouble for that. I like that Joseph was the one to confront him about it. It's a pretty good moment. Uh, Hiram and uh, Martin send for Joseph to come and talk to him, right? And uh, let's listen to a little clip here from, from the book that talks about this encounter with Abner Cole. Um, he's, he's challenging Joseph to a fight, by the way. That's the, that's the context for this clip. If you think you are the best man, Abner said, just pull off your coat and try it. There is law, Joseph responded, and you will find that out if you did not know it before. But I shall not fight you, for that will do no good. Abner knew he was on the wrong side of the law. He calmed down and stopped printing excerpts from the Book of Mormon in his newspaper. What what does that reveal or tell you about Joseph Smith's character as he encounters this guy who's pirating the, the Book of Mormon, basically? Well, Joseph Smith was kind of a... Uh, fun, loving, rough-and-tumble kind of guy, right? So initially I thought, oh, that's interesting that that he did decline that fight. And maybe it was because it was done in animosity and, like, anger that he he declined fighting. But he knew that he was in the right. He had gone out and gotten a copy, copyright for the book. And I don't know how, if that was, if every author did that. Do you guys know if... No, if I'm that was sure. common to go and get copyright, I, I think it's, it was fairly common. But okay. like like you, that 
that tells me one of the things that it tells me is when we're when we're prepared. This is the yeah. kind of example I yeah. come out. Joseph knew he had the copyright. Mm-hmm. He didn't need to go get in an Pro- argument yeah, with this guy. He's like, himself. look, I, I I have a copyright. Uh-huh. You know, if you want to go to jail, knock yourself out, Abner. But this <laughs> this is not your work. You can't take this from me. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I yeah. I think that's kind of a colorful little little story yeah. <laughs> for the publishing of the Book of Mormon. So it's after. Actually, the Book of Mormon is published that the church is actually organized. Tell us a little bit about how that, that came to be and, uh, and what happened. It was a lot at the time to have at least six people as mem- to form a new church, right, to have uh, members there. And in artwork and things like that, you usually are in movies depicting that first organization you just see like six people sitting in chairs. But in reality, there were 40 to 50 people there um, kind of watching the proceedings inside um, the structure that they were meeting in and outside. But there were just six people who had been baptized before then. So it's kind of cool to see, to realize that there were uh, there was an entire group of people interested in what was happening, interested in uh, Joseph Smith's message, and were in attendance on that first day. So there, there's more people than just six. Um, here's a little clip from the book that talks about this moment. On April 6, 1830, Joseph and Oliver met in the Whitmer home to follow the Lord's commandment and organize his church. To fulfill the requirements of the law, they chose six people to become the first members of the new church. Around 40 women and men also crowded into and around the small home to witness the occasion. After the initial six, there are other members that are baptized, and some of those are Joseph Smith's family members. This, to me, was one of the most touching moments in chapter 8, is this moment when Joseph baptizes his father. So let's listen here to a little clip about the impact this had on Joseph. Now Jesus Christ had restored his church and authorized Joseph with the same priesthood that apostles had held anciently when they carried the gospel to the world. The happiness he felt was too much for him to hold in, and when Joseph Knight and Oliver found him later that night, he was weeping. His joy was full. The work had begun. Yeah, I think that kind of shows Joseph Smith was sort of realizing things as he went along. He, too, was seeing the work unfold. He probably, I mean, he didn't know how things were going to turn out. And I think that really captures the moment of how he felt, just the joy of seeing things come together and feeling the Holy Ghost, seeing his family join the church uh, and watching things come together. Yeah, it, it, it's an incredible moment. We. We've talked um, in, a, in previous episodes about how this history is written not with, we're not doing flashbacks and flash forwards. So we get to experience this as Joseph does. And like mm-hmm. you say, he didn't know. He's finding out as we go. And this is a pretty, you know, impactful, huge moment for him to have his family finally join the church. The church is now organized. So as a women's historian, you are familiar with some of the resources that we would have used to gather um, information on Lucy Smith, for example. What was her reaction in the midst of all this trial and success of the gospel? One thing I think is really fascinating about Lucy Mack Smith and Joseph Smith Sr. is they were 
really seekers of religion. They were searching for the truth, and they involved their family in that search. And Lucy, in particular, was raised in an environment where a very religious environment, and and um, had deep faith, and um, believed that God would guide and lead and and reveal His His will. And she. Uh, actually ended up dictating a history and the history uh, that she worked on has been published as a biography. It's called The History of Joseph Smith by His Mother. And it's a really interesting perspective on the Smith family and Joseph Smith's life as he grows. And you get a mother's perspective on what was happening. And in that history, she includes quite a bit about her ancestry and this legacy of faith that her ancestors had. And she records kind of the ups and downs of their life and how they used faith to overcome their trials. And then she uses sort of that theme and how she looks at her own life and her children's life, this coming to, to crises and how God has come through and and sustained them. And so you see this faith that she had instilled in her children as well and and, um, what an anchor that was and how she saw the world. So she taught Joseph to also seek and that's what led to his influence. Led to his asking a question that changed the world, right? Exactly. That's amazing. The influence of a mother. What sort of insights do we gain from Lucy's writing about her son that we might not otherwise know about Joseph? That's a great question. It's She is able to offer a reflection on how Joseph sort of compares to his siblings. Oh, interesting. And yeah, she um, actually says... Joseph isn't the most studious of his siblings. He doesn't. He didn't seem to read the scriptures as much as some of his other siblings. Um, but yet, you know, he had this intuition and faith. And she also shares experiences that show his sensitivity to her feelings, his courage as she remembers the event of of when Joseph was ill and had the part of his bone removed sure. from his leg. So th- insights like that um, into his childhood and, and relationships that are things that only a mother would, would know. That's really sweet. <laughs> there are some who would ask or, or question if, if Lucy is a reliable witness. Is Can we trust this biography that's written, you know, it's years later, Right. Uh, she's working with a scribe. Right. One thing that our listeners may be interested to know is we, we in fact, do believe that this is she is a reliable witness, but we also used additional resources to, to triangulate every event. That's so really important. In, in some cases, Lucy's memory isn't perfect. Right. And, but it's remarkable how good she is with names and dates even years later. And... I know the the team of historians that worked on the project were very very careful to even even though it's Joseph's mother to still triangulate the events with additional accounts from other witnesses and other people at the time. That is essential because she does also have the partiality of a mother to a child and of course. and so it's extremely important to be able to substantiate or clarify um, what actually happened. Right, as, as best we can tell from the historical records that we have. Mm-hmm. 
another topic in, in this particular chapter is critics of the Book of Mormon. Any member of the church today knows that there are plenty of critics, and it might be interesting for them to know that that was like from the moment of publication. Absolutely. It has always been that way. So our first critic we already talked about, we have Abner Cole in his satirical newspaper. What were the people in Palmyra? Did the, did the Book of Mormon sell well? Was it a bestseller in town? Not at all. The initial price of the Book of Mormon was decreased significantly in an effort to sell copies in Palmyra, but it just wasn't successful. And so the missionaries essentially go on the road to find people who are open and willing to listen. It reminds me of that scripture uh, that says, you know, the, uh, something to the effect that a prophet is never accepted in his own land. You know, for these people, it's like, this is Joseph. He's like down the street farmer. Like I hired him to dig a well for me, <laughs> you know. And so I can imagine that it was a little hard for them to believe Absolutely. Um, not that there weren't those that did. There, there mm -hmm. certainly were. There was this congregation at the mm -hmm. first meeting. I'm actually impressed that there were people who accepted it and believed it. I think there was a story, and it Especially may be coming in that environment. Of that course, in, yeah. of course. I think there are stories throughout this narrative of people who learn about the gospel and then immediately leave behind whatever they're doing with their families or their profession, and they become preachers of this gospel. Um, and I think that that's impressive, especially, yeah, considering that there were so few members. And it's a challenge today, you know, to have faith in in anything, especially a God who loves us and who will direct us when sometimes it doesn't feel that way. But I am so impressed by the people that, that were few in number that still chose to believe. And that gives me a lot of confidence to believe today, because of course, the church has grown so much, even in a relatively short time since the Book of Mormon was published and Joseph began teaching and, and prophesying. But we have many more people to meet with today and to share our faith with today. So anyway, I'm grateful for these examples, these stories of, of great hope and faith, even in challenging times. It's interesting, I think also, as we look at patterns of these early members who were ready to accept the gospel, they too were seeking and searching and not feeling like they had found the right religion for them yet. And sure. Looking for certain characteristics like modern apostles and prophets. I loved the story of Thomas Marsh, who was coming from, I think, Boston and felt just impressed to go to Western New York. And he wasn't totally sure why um, and was looking for the truth, but, you know, hadn't quite found it yet. And he, um, on his return journey, having thought that he had totally failed in, in doing whatever Heavenly Father had hoped he would do, um, he discovered the Book of Mormon. And I think he only had maybe a number of pages, a 60-something number of pages. And he took that and immediately began preaching on his way home and maybe even didn't head home. I can't remember exactly, but I was so impressed by that and made me grateful that I that I just get to I get to go over to the store and just <laughs> pick up the whole book and I get to read it and anyway it's the, I love stories like that. Yeah, with just a few pages, he was converted. Yeah. Brittany and Sarah, thank you so much for your insights and for being here with us today. As as we sort of conclude the episode, what what is this chapter and the examples of people like Thomas Marsh and Joseph, Lucy Abner Cole? You know, all these these real people that are characters in the book, 
what what are the takeaways that that you want to talk to about to your friends and and family about? One thing that I think is remarkable is the independent testimonies that that these people had. Like Sarah was saying earlier, um, they had to ride on their own faith and their own experiences, despite an unbelieving and uh, despite persecution that the church was receiving. And um, also the support of Joseph Smith's family is noteworthy that they too were converted by Joseph Smith's experiences and his witness. And they also had traveled this very long path of years in the making with Joseph and to continue to have faith in his message and belief that that God's work was unfolding, I, I think is remarkable. It's exciting that that this chapter sets the stage of the work rolling forth. Something that impresses me about the stories in this chapter and in each chapter is that they speak to God's power to bring to pass his plan, even maybe especially in seemingly impossible circumstances, you know, with somebody like Joseph who was not particularly educated, especially in things like writing, reading, translating. Uh, I was impressed that he got a copyright for this book. How could he have been, you know, very savvy about publishing, but but haven't helped him in, in many other ways, haven't made it possible where it seemed impossible. And I think that that is, of course, true today. We're dealing with the same God who is talked about in the Book of Mormon and who helped Joseph along the way. And even when things seem impossible, they, of course, can be accomplished if God wants them to be. And I'm grateful to know that, and especially to experience that in reading this narrative. Thank you so much, both of you, for for joining us today. I appreciate the perspectives that you brought today. Thank you for your time. I just want to end with one last line here from chapter 8, which is this moment again where we, we talked about earlier. Joseph's family has been baptized. The Book of Mormon has been published. The church has been founded. And it says, his joy was full the work had begun. And I just invite our listeners back next time where we're going to talk about what's going to happen next. It's chapter nine. We have a church. Now what? Thank you for joining us for the Saints podcast on the Mormon channel. I'm Ben Godfrey. Thanks for joining us today for Saints. And don't forget to read more of this historical narrative on LDS.org or on your Gospel Library app. Join us again for our next episode, where we'll once again discover fascinating insights of church history found in Saints, the story of the Church of Jesus Christ in the Latter Days.